He is risen. Amen. Amen. Good evening, you guys. My name is Matt Moberg. I'm director of the table. Thrilled that you are with us tonight on this Easter. This is a good night to be together because this is the night. Uh, well, this is really what it's all about for us here in our community. Our story, who we are, what we're trying to be about, it all is centered on this day 2,000 years ago. We celebrate this weekend, on this weekend most certainly, but really every time we get together, we try to retell this story of the Friday where our king bled out so that by Sunday, death could be put out. And so will you close your eyes and just pray with me as we go into the word in a moment. Jesus, this space is your space. And God, we are trying to hear your story. God, we're trying to hear what you'd have to say for us. Just give us eyes and ears and uh, Lord, be present. Speak. We are here listening. We're grateful for the cross, Lord. And we're really grateful for that empty tomb. In Christ's name, all God's children say together, amen. Will you do me a favor, in light of it being such a good story, and stand to your feet in a way of honoring the story as we read from Matthew 28. Story goes like this. After the Sabbath had dawned on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb, and there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay and then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you, I've done what I came here to do. And so the women hurried away from the tomb and they were afraid and yet filled with joy. They were afraid and yet filled with joy. And they ran and told the disciples. And on their way suddenly, Jesus met them and he said, greetings. That's all he said. Isn't that a strange way to start the resurrection process? Just one word. Hey, no, no, that's not strange to anybody. Jeff, I know that's strange to you. Thank you. Don't leave me alone like that. Greetings, he said. And they came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Amen. You may be seated. As I said at the beginning, and I'll say it again, this is what it's all about for us. This is uh, where we celebrate not only the source of how our stories start, but it's where we discover that our stories never really do stop. We find in the fullness of the empty tomb uh, our life, because it's no longer a time where we are talking about who Jesus was. We finally get to talk to the Jesus that is. He is alive. The tomb is empty as the story is told. And we really do, as Maggie alluded to, we have every reason to get rowdy about this. I mean, we should bust out the cake and the Kendrick and confetti, and we ought to have a good time tonight. We really should do that, okay? But if I may point out in this story, there is space for other stories to be read into this. You see, for me, 
what I've come to realize about my own personal experiences of Easter is that while there always is good reasons for a party, some of us stumble our ways there. Everyone in this room might be really jazzed and excited about throwing a shindig tonight, but some of us, it's a little bit more complicated. For many of us, we experience what the Marys experienced this morning. We go to the tomb, we try to act right, we try to remind ourselves again and again that that tomb is indeed empty and there's nothing there to see, but then we walk away and we got a little fear on this side of us and we got some joy over here. It's, it's complicated, it's conflicting. We don't know what necessarily to do with the story of this. And you know, maybe, honestly, maybe I'm projecting here. And if so, this is gonna be match therapy time and we're all gonna deal with it. We're not gonna complain about it, we're not gonna email later. But if I am projecting, I apologize, but for me, call me strange, the idea of the dead springing back to life, that's not an idea that is easily digested. It's a tough concept really to wrap our minds around. And, and I get the other side of Easter. I understand Friday. I understand why Jesus was killed. I understand the threat that he posed. And I understand why they had to take him out. But resurrection is a little different. Resurrection asks me to carry something a little bit more than just the cross does. And if I'm going to be completely honest with you all, which I think I'm going to, there are some years that I'm able to carry this story, and there are some years that I can't. Yes, I walk by faith, but sometimes I do so with a limp, and other times I'm actually able to strut a little bit because it's complicated. And I read the story, and I can feel both fear and Mike going back and forth talking. I got the joy. I got that fervent faith, but I also have some fear with the heavy doubt because I don't know what to do about this story. And the good news inside this story that we just read, the good news of Easter, is that these two women who show up as the first two witnesses of the wonder of resurrection, they seem to be facing a similar predicament as myself. When Luke and Mark talk about these two Marys, they give us a little bit more info than Matthew chooses to do. And they tell us that they were going to the tomb uh, that morning to bring spices for the body. And they bring this information to the forefront, intentionally so, because they want to tell us something else. They want us to see that on Easter Sunday, AD 32, the first ones to church didn't show up trying to find church. They didn't wake up that morning and head to the tomb with Bibles under their arms or Hillsong in their head. They were bringing spices to honor the body of their dead friend. They were bringing spices for the body of somebody that they loved. They were not venturing out for an Easter sunrise service. They weren't trying to find the risen Lord. They were trying to find their dead friend, Jesus. They didn't set out that morning for salvation. They carried spices. They were there because they loved their friend. They were there because the night before, one of the Marys called the other Mary, and in the agony and loss and sense of defeat, and images of Friday still freshly imprinted on their minds, that Mary called the other Mary and said, he was way too good, he deserved way much more than to die and be buried in a borrowed tomb. He was better than that. But we can't do anything about that now, but we can still do something. His life did not stink, and so his death will not stink. You get the spices, and I'll see you in the morning.
And then by the morning, Easter, the celebratory morning, the two go while it is still dark. And they show up at the tomb with spices in their hands. The same hands that are waving palm branches a week earlier. And for somebody like me, somebody who, who struggles with faith and is naturally prone to be more skeptical, for somebody like me, this feels like good news. Because this says something to me, this tells me that it is possible to not have perfect faith, to not be able to sincerely at all times recite all of the creeds and the codes and all of the religious language that we've been taught to accept and yet still show up and find out that resurrection remains within reach. It is possible to not believe all of the right things about Jesus and yet still love him enough to go out and look for him. It's possible. These women, they did not believe in the moment all of the right things about Jesus, but they loved him and so they looked for him. Now, you might say, well, Matt, that's a little extreme. Aren't you being a little tough on women here? I mean, who really expected the resurrection to be happening, right? We haven't seen that yet in human history. Why would they expect or have faith to believe it would happen now? Well, I would argue they had every reason to. It's not like Jesus was quiet about it. And it wasn't just the women. The women showed up at the tomb, the empty tomb. The angel says to them, go and tell those boys back home about what you have seen. They go and they say what they have seen. And those boys say, you are crazy. That's not true. Dead things do not come back to life. You are crazy. But what's crazy to me is that you can walk with somebody for years and have no idea who they are. Because Jesus was not secretive about this. He made it abundantly clear that he was going to be coming back. And if you want proof, let me show it to you. Four verses before these 10 verses that we read from. At the end of Matthew 27, you have a group of Pharisees who are going up to Pilate. Pharisees, mind you, are, they're on the outskirts of the group. And so they're not even part of like the core tribe. But they go up to Pilate and they say, listen, Pilate, uh, you need to know that Jesus, while he was still alive... He would often talk about the day he dies and how in three days after that, he would come back from the dead. Just so you know, I don't believe that personally, but these crazy disciples do. And so if we're not careful, if we're not going to be mindful about this, then you need to understand that they'll probably try to steal the body and stir up a frenzy. All we're trying to say, Pilate, is maybe get a guard or two or three out in front of that stone to make sure it does not happen. So convincing was this argument based upon how convinced they believed the disciples were. And Pilate says, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And he sends two boys to go post up outside of the tomb. And what a profound waste of money. Because nobody was coming for him. Nobody in the story believes he's going to bounce back from the cross. It, it is done. He died. It's over. Some of them even go back and go fishing again. But these two women, doing a decent act of love and loyalty to their friend who had died, they show up that morning and they stand before that empty tomb and they are completely lost. They got burial spices in one hand, they got broken hearts in the other. They have plenty of love, but they have no faith. 
And yet it's here, right in the middle of this faithless love that is loyal enough to show up anyways and look for Jesus. It's here that the story starts to turn. An angel with body as bright as lightning, as the story tells us, shows up and sees the women and sees the soldiers. The soldiers freak out. It says that they start to faint. They become like dead men. They are scared to death. The angel sits on the stone, which is, is a little comedic, but the angel sits on the stone, sees the soldiers, but speaks to the sisters. Sees the fear, but speaks to the faithless. Now, why is that? Angel sees the two women and says, I know why you are here. You're looking for Jesus. And so you don't have anything to be afraid of. You don't have anything to worry about. And the implication in what the angel says to the sisters and the silence that is given to the soldiers is, these boys over here, they maybe do, though. That fear actually might be justified. They might have real reasons to be concerned right now. Why? Well, there is a world of difference between people who are looking for Jesus and people who are trying to shut down any chance of finding Jesus. There is a world of difference between keeping your eyes open, staying receptive to the wonder of all that is, and being a defendant of death. And shutting down anybody that might say something true to you. There's a difference between the seekers and those who are soldiers. The women at the tomb, the empty tomb, what we see modeled of them is a faith that looks like the child's faith that Jesus talked about. It is receptive. It's not closed. Children, they are different than adults because children expect that they're going to grow up. They expect transformation. They expect that where they are is not where they will stop. And it is a curse. It is a tragedy that when you get a little bit older, you forget that. You, you become static and still. You close down. You stop trying to roll stones away from tunes and you start trying to defend them. So whatever is behind you stays there. But these women show up. And they're looking for Jesus. Albeit a dead Jesus, they're looking for Jesus. And the angel says to them, you have nothing to be afraid of. Of all the places that the resurrected child of Easter had to get to, all the people they need to see, he looks at these two women who were looking for him. And in his resurrection, they experienced their own. You know, you might not have a tightly knit theology. You might not be able to speak all the creeds and the codes and everything that you think you think you need to be able to say in order to belong in the story of Christ. But this story would say otherwise. There is space for your story inside of the king's story. Ask these two women. They will tell you that it is so. It reminds me of the time that Jesus is coming down from the hill of transfiguration and there is a man who approaches him with a boy in his arms. The man has tears streaming down his face and he says, Jesus, I need your help. I need you to do something right now. And Jesus says, what do you know? And he goes, well, my boy, he's sick. He needs, he needs help. And as this man's tears are falling down, Jesus looks at him and he says, well, do you believe? And the man lets out this heavy sigh one of those that he'd been holding in for years. And he says to Jesus, you know, I do and I don't. 
I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And Jesus says, I can work with that. My whole life, I had thought that a perfect faith was a prerequisite for the presence of the Father. But that man at the bottom of that hill and these two women who are the first two witnesses on Easter Sunday would say otherwise. They would say that if you can live in love committed to life, resurrection will be revealed to you. Christ will meet you in that place. Not every X or O needs to be figured out prior to. Resurrection will find you in that way, even if all you can do is show up that morning with burial spices in your hand. Paul says in Corinthians, he talks about how ultimately, at the end of all things, this is what we have. This is our ultimate prioritized realities, is faith, hope, and love. And if you must know, the greatest of these, well, it's love. Love is the greatest of these. Paul began that chapter by saying that if you have faith that can move a mountain, which would be, in other words, if you have perfect faith, but you don't have love, then you don't have much. If you have perfect faith, perfect clarity and conviction and certainty in your beliefs, but you don't have any love to you, you, you don't have much. On the flip side, if you have a faith that's barely holding on, but you got a love in you that will spur you forward to make you look for the Christ, then you might just play a role in the resurrection. You might just be a featured character in the story that changed the world. Friends, there is no shame in having the complicated Easter experience. That's what the Easter story is. But these women, they would have never heard or held Jesus again had they not made the choice to go out and look for him. I don't know where you might be in your story. I know where I've been in mine, though. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone out looking for Jesus, even if at the end of the day all I was holding was burial spices. Couldn't find the certainty, couldn't find the conviction, couldn't find the reasons to go out and do so. But I had eyes to see, thanks be to God, that there had to be more than the reality that I was dealing with at that moment. And in doing so, Jesus showed up. All I came with was spices, and the Savior found me still. I pray that we would have the courage to be like these women, to carry the original eyes of Easter, to not be soldiers, but to be seekers, to not spend our lives standing in front of our rock, keeping us from the actual life that is on the other side. I want to pray. Christ, you are risen. Christ, you are good. In the absence of our perfect faith, you'll take an honest faith. Lord, give us the courage to live lives of love because we know that in doing so, we'll run into you along the road. Easter is not an event, it is an experience. Give us courage, Father. In Christ's name, we all pray.
Amen.